Good morning, good morning, good morning. How y'all doing, man? All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 24. While you're finding Acts 24, just let me say what a week it has been. Uh, Montana made the national news, and I know a number of people who have been impacted in various ways. So um, I have been in touch with area pastors uh, here in Billings. I've been talking to guys in Bzorki. Uh, we're talking to people in Luther, Montana, Red Lodge, and trying to assess the situation. And it looks like one of the best ways that we can help serve would be to establish a work crew and maybe go do some cleanup in a town. So that could happen as soon as this next weekend. Um, I'm, I actually have a sign-up sheet. And after the service, I would, if you're interested in helping out after the service, I'd love to get your contact information and maybe get up there. Um, the Red Cross is in town up there for the next week. They have tons of donations right now. They're in a good spot. But Moving forward, they worry that once that's through, uh, they, they might need some help then. So we're assessing the situation. We want to get up there and uh, be a blessing to our community. It might be a good time to contribute. We will keep you posted, and probably it's going to be something that happens here quickly in the next couple of days. So um, It is Father's Day. I want to give a shout-out to all the fathers. I got some donuts out there on the wall for you because I like donuts. <laughs> and ordinarily on Father's Day, I would love to talk to you about the role of men and fathers in our society. I mean, there's never been a greater need and a greater hour for men, men of God, to raise families. But, you know, this series I'm in is called In the Moment, and I, I, I'm, I get a flex with it. I, I don't have a set theme. I just kind of am preaching what I feel the Lord puts on my heart this week. So I'm in uh, Acts 24. I want to read verses 24 down through 27, the end of the chapter, and I want to pray. Here's what the Scripture says. That after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who it says was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix, it says, was afraid and answered, go away now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your grace. We thank you this morning for the word of God. I pray that that seed sown of your word would get into the hearts, the minds, the soil, the fabric of our beings this morning. We thank you that you're alive on the throne. You are a father of the fatherless today. Pray this word bears fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, you probably know, I think I've shared, I grew up in the country. So we had a creek running through our backyard, Canyon Creek. And I was just accustomed to flash floods, man. We might get a flash flood rolling through there about once every three years. And I'll never forget one particular flood, one of the worst ones we ever had. I had this idea to basically shoot the rapids in a homemade raft. And I was flowing down the street, I'm a street I was, or the river there, I was 11 or 12 years old. And you know, when you have a homemade raft, it's hard to maneuver it. And I found myself heading towards the bridge. Now the problem was, on the other side of the bridge, there was a log jam. And nothing was getting through there. And I knew if I went under that bridge, I was a goner. But I couldn't turn it. You know what happened? I ended up just resting on top of the bridge. That raft went under, it never came out. And I was holding up there on the bridge. I started yelling, you know, help. I'm yelling, help, help. And I think my mom heard me. And she sent my grandfather. I was probably there for about five minutes. My grandfather came running down the hill and saved me from imminent death. 
I mean, talk about the goodness of God and the stupidity of a 12-year-old. So in the same way, it is through the blood of Jesus that you and I have been saved from a flood of God's wrath that is to come. That is the good news, and that is the gospel. And this morning, what I want to highlight for you are three gospel truths. Now, I feel like somewhere along the line, it's, it's like we've kind of had gospel truths get a little bit contorted. And in my personal experience and opinion, it's almost like right now in the church world, there's this overemphasis of God's grace and underemphasis of his salvation and what that means. And I think it's, it's pretty easy to understand. I, I think it's because people have a harder time really believing in God's goodness than they do in his harshness. And, and this is something that people struggle with. So these are like what I would call neglected nuances of the gospel, maybe overlooked, undervalued, perhaps even ignored truths about the gospel that you and I believe in. And I want to start here in verse 24. He said, after some days, when Felix, who was the governor, here's the governor, and he came with his wife, Drusilla, who scripture says was Jewish. Actually, church tradition on this is that it was his Jewish wife, Drusilla, who wanted Paul to come. It says that uh, she, they sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. They, they wanted to hear what he had to say. And it tells us in verse 25 that as Paul reasoned, uh, as he had a discourse, a discussion, we could say a sermon about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. It says, Felix was afraid, and he answered, go away now, for when I have a more convenient time, I will call for you. You know, the first thing that I want to highlight, I see in this story, the first thing Paul mentioned in the gospel had to do with the subject of righteousness. Somebody say righteousness. Paul reasoned about righteousness. Now, righteousness basically means that you can stand before God. It's right standing before God where you, know, you understand that he, he, he's not angry at you. He's not upset with you. He accepts you in his sight. Uh, it has to do with moral uprightness and, and behavior. And I like what Paul said in Romans 5 and verse 1. He said that having been justified by faith, we've been made righteous not through anything we've done, but through the righteousness of faith, we have peace with God. That's a wonderful thing to have peace with God. He's not angry at you. He doesn't look at sinners and, and, and with frustration because we're in a certain time in, in God's stewardship of time. We're in what we call the dispensation of God's grace. Now, I want to put a verse up on the screen. I think I might have it. It's Romans 11, verse 22. And this is so interesting. It tells us in Romans that we should consider the goodness and the severity of God. So in the moment we're in, this what theologians would call the dispensation of God's grace. It's a stewardship. Dispensation means an allotment of time. It almost is like an administration. Right now we have the Biden administration. And before that, we had the Trump administration. And if you haven't noticed, different presidents have different policies that have consequences. So the administration that we're in right now that's governed by God is what's called the administration of God's grace. In other words, it's the day of salvation. Scripture says night is coming, though, when no man can work, when his severity and his wrath is going to come upon people. But right now, we are in a moment of grace where we, we have you know, access before God. We, we are righteous in his sight. 
Practically speaking, then, what we can say is that righteousness, it, it means a couple things for us. First of all, righteousness means that I can stand before God free of guilt, free of condemnation, free of shame. I'm accepted because of my faith in him and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that is wonderful news. I can go before him. That means you don't got to get saved every Sunday. I do deal with people like that. Sometimes they get saved every week because they're not establishing the fact that they have been made righteous in the sight of God. Righteousness means that I can come boldly before him to the throne of grace and make my request known, that his ears are open to my cries, that I, I can pray with confidence. Man, I've prayed for some things I've seen God immediately answer. I remember I was praying for a, a larger car. I started having all these children, and then they got cousins, and we needed a bigger car. And I remember within a period of a year, God had given me a new car, beautiful. Everything was all set and paid for. And, and because I prayed and it was in his will, he did it so quickly. I, I was grateful for it. Righteousness is something that means I will listen to my conscience, because that is the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me. You know, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 4 says, the integrity of the upright guides them. That is your conscience. And your conscience is never going to lead you into sin or wicked behavior. It's always going to lead you into a place of peace where you're living godly. That, that's, that's a conscience that's work unless it has become hardened by sin. When we talk about righteousness, what we're, what we're talking about is, is that you're free from the vices of sin. It's righteous living. And when you understand God's grace, it's like you want to live pleasing in his sight. And what Paul's doing when he starts talking to Felix and Drusilla, because there's a little bit of a backstory here. Drusilla had left her husband to be with Felix. It was like a, a political arrangement. Drusilla is actually the wife of King Herod, who, you know, John the Baptist rebuked for his wicked lifestyle. And what Paul is doing is confronting Felix, he's speaking truth to power in this moment. See, that, that's, that's righteousness. It's, it's godly living. You know, in my case, I felt like the Lord delivered me from alcohol, and I had a terrible time kicking that. Some people, they have no problem with it, but for me, I, I just know the Lord delivered me. I haven't had a drink in, since 1998, by the grace of God, and it's just something I stay back from because my conscience convicts me. It's something that I, I don't want to get caught up in. I don't know what that might be for you. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's lying. Theft. There could be all kinds of things that people get caught up in or sidetracked. Righteousness, Scripture says, exalts a nation. This is such an interesting verse. That's Proverbs chapter 14. Righteousness exalts a nation. You know, this week was such an emotional week, and one of the reasons why, because it came out you know, last week that they were having a drag queen story hour over here at the zoo. And I know in the sleepy town of Billings, Montana, you think you're immune to those types of things. And it was like, man, this one made national news. I mean, people have been talking about it, various news sites, you know. And I, I, I'm grateful to live in a free society, but I do not believe the sexualization of children is a good thing. And I think that churches and people would do well to speak up on that. I did email the zoo. I would encourage you to email the zoo. And, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do about preventing it, but you can make your voice known and take a stance. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter, excuse me, in the book of Matthew? Jesus said it. He said, it's better that a millstone be hung around someone's neck than you offend a child. That's what Jesus said. And, you know, when I think about culture, I'm telling you, it's because we have had 
a lack of father figures. Fatherhood is so important. And I want to encourage you men to raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord in a godly, strong way. Men, it is so important because that's what will establish righteousness in a land. It's men of God raising their children in the truths of Scripture, in the way of the Lord, and that will help bring blessing to a nation. So Paul, he's coming hard on him. He's like, Felix, you're not living in righteousness. Here's the second thing he said, self-control. Somebody say self-control. Now, this is something that, you know, is a real big thing when it comes to Christianity. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Temperance is the word. And it's self-restraint. It's the ability to say no to yourself and the desires of your flesh. It's the last fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. The last, but definitely not the least. I think this is probably the most overlooked and underappreciated spiritual fruit that exists. Because it's one of those things that pays lifelong dividends. And what you can see in Paul's case here, he's got what we could call a three-point sermon with a congruent train of thought. Because righteousness, the desire to live righteously, is always going to lead to self-control. Self-control. Practically speaking, what this means is that you don't let your emotions have control over your life. Because what we live in now in a society is where feelings tend to dictate what people think are facts. And your feelings are not facts. But what people do now is they're caught up with this idea, if I feel it, it must be true. And so that's where society is drifting on you know, the sea of immorality, and it's because people are governed by feelings, but when you have self-control, you understand that my feelings are not dictating my future. They're, they're not facts that I, I'm caught up with. They, they might make me feel a certain way. I might get down or I might get excited about something, but as you know, feelings are volatile. They come, they go. Self-control can weather that. Let me tell you something. Gender is not a feeling. It is a fact. Your marriage is not how you feel. It is a fact. Right, your children, the way you want to raise them, those are not feelings that you just feel one day and the next day. Those are facts. And having self-control is a, what allows you to weather those things. Man, self-control is so important. Uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's what allows you to respond to people in love. You don't have to respond emotionally. You can respond in truth and kindness and in the love of God. Self-control is you know, one of those things that allows you to you know, say no to impulses in your flesh and your appetites and lusts for different things. Self-control is what allows me not to eat too much food. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I don't have to eat a double cheeseburger. I can just have a regular cheeseburger. <laughs> I have a donut wall out there. You know, I remember one time I went on a fast and I had a past... <laughs> I had, I had donuts out there. He said, how many donuts did you have? I said, three. <laughs> that might be a little too much. <laughs> Self-control is what allows you to say no to impulses, desires, appetites, things that you want. Self-control is one of those things that uh, allows you to push off impulses so you can handle your money well. You don't have to get massively in debt trying to keep up with people. You can say no and appreciate delayed gratification. You can say no to things. That's what Paul's doing with Felix. He's saying your lack of self-control in your relationship with Drusilla is going to create problems in your life. He's highlighting these things. You know why I think self-control is so important? 
Because self-control is what enables something called coping skills. And I'm telling you, that is probably the biggest thing that young people struggle with today is a lack of coping skills. Understand that life is hard. And coping skills and self-control and a little bit of patience is going to be what allows you and enables you to have success in the long term. And I'm telling you, there's all kinds of pressures in life right now. There's no shortage of pressures. Think about peer pressure. People will make outrageous decisions because they lack self-control and they want to keep up with other people. They want to be liked. And so they put themselves in bad situations. It's a lack of self-control. One of the pressures that people deal with today is parenting. And I'm telling you, fatherhood has got so many pressures. I mean, whether it's children knocking on the door every five minutes to try to, you know, come ask you questions or they want this or they want that. And and self-control and parenting go hand in hand. You've got to teach your children how to have self-control. It's it's really remarkable. Society is just running around. They they have no control over their emotions, no self-control. Think about the pressures of being in a job that you don't like. And yet, you have to have some level of self-control if you're going to maintain that job. I don't know if you knew this, but it looks like there's a recession looming economically. I was listening to people say, how are you going to keep a job? And one of the guys was like, show up at work on time, have a good attitude, be be valuable to a company. That's called self-control, a coping skill. If you do that, they might keep you around. Self-control. Think about the pressures of life that everybody has to deal with, but the fruit of self-control is what allows you to stay focused and live for God. This is Paul talking. This is straight out of the Bible. Righteousness, self-control, and now we got the big one. What is that one? The judgment to come. I'm telling you that this is a part of the gospel that we somehow skip over and neglect a little bit. Because scripture says right here, there is a judgment to come. I want to remind you about that. Because one day you are going to give an account before God of the way you lived your life. And it's it's going to be, did you live righteously and with self-control? Or have you cast off restraint in some area? You know the problem with the word, is it's such a broad word. It's a big word that people paint over with a broad brush. It's, It's like the word love. You know, there's people that I love, and then there's people I really love, like my wife Elizabeth. I love Elizabeth. I'll say things like, man, I love football. But I don't love football like I love Elizabeth, like I love Jesus. I like it. <laughs> I use the word love. I mean, love, that can mean a lot of things. You, know, you hear people say love wins. and God. What does that all mean? How is it defined? And judgment is a very similar thing. It, it's, a, it's a big term. It's a big word. Now, I, I'm giving you my personal belief. I believe that many Christians today, and particularly those in spirit-filled or charismatic circles, lack a theology for divine judgment coming upon people or situations. And you can see this in the Scriptures, even in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, and Satan, it says, entered their heart, and they died. Or we could talk about Acts chapter 12, when there was King Herod, Drusilla's brother. And he refused to give God glory and was struck with worms, the Bible says, and died. The next chapter, Acts 13, uh, we got a man named Elymas the sorcerer, who incidentally, tradition says, is the man 
who introduced Drusilla to her husband, Felix. And when Elymas the sorcerer wanted the power of this Holy Spirit and offered money, Peter said, it compares with you, and something like scales went over his eyes. He went blind. That, that was like God saying, oh no, that's not going to happen. I mean, when you think about divine judgment, uh, the scripture says you, you, we are to judge people in the church for the way they live, but not judge those in the world. Uh, the Bible says, you know, we should judge ourselves when we go to take the communion meal. And I, I've seen people argue against that because it says if you take it unworthy, you drink damnation to themselves and they'll give you all kinds of cute reasons why, you know, that doesn't happen today. But I'm telling you, people don't have uh, a context for divine judgment. You know what the Bible says about judging things? It says that we should judge prophecy. So you'll have people who make all kinds of prophecies, and when it doesn't happen, it's like it just people move on. They don't, they don't deal with it. And I'll tell you why. Because sometimes you get confused. See, you and I should judge the word that a man may preach, but not judge the man. There, there's a real difference in that. And, and those are some things that you know you got to navigate through. I, I a lot of people don't have a proper context for judgment and how it operates. So he's talking here about the judgment to come. This is a substantial thing. And, and there's levels to God's judgment in situations. Uh, one, of, one of the things I would describe as judgment is simply what I call natural judgment. This is none other than sowing and reaping and the consequences of your behavior. That's what Scripture says, Galatians of the flesh. 7, don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that he's going to reap. If you sow of the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. And if you sow of the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit. This happened to me one time because I was driving in for football practice. I lived out in the country. Like I said, I was driving in the back road to Laurel. I was doing about 83 miles an hour, and a highway patrolman pulled me over. But you know what? We live in the age of grace, and that man gave me a warning. Praise God. Yeah. But you know, the next day, he caught me going 90 in the same spot. <laughs> I brought judgment to myself. <laughs> I got a ticket. <laughs> and that, that's people are funny, man. They'll experience something like that, and they'll just think, oh, man, you know. Uh, but it's, it's God's it's, it's, it's a consequence. It's a form of judgment. There's what I would call gracious judgment. Uh, this is what we could say is chastening. I think this is forgotten in churches, man. People know God's chastening. I like what Jesus rebuked the church in Revelation 3, 19, the church of Laodicea. He said, as many as I rebuke, I love. And his chastening is his love. It's his graciousness. It's his goodness. That's what you know, the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 12 that his chastening is a form of his love. Now, I personally feel like America is in a place of chastening. Like, I wouldn't say we're under like God's wrath, but that there's this chastening that it's like we're experiencing in our land. And I do believe it's God's graciousness trying to point us back on course as a nation. That's the way that fathers train their children. I mean, it is Father's Day. So I'm telling you, dads, you want to know how to chasten children. I've got children. I have to discipline, and I do it because I love them. You know, we were up at the campground last week, and the waters were coming, and man, we were telling our kids, if you get in the water, you could die. That's a warning. That's a chastening. I'm not ready for the lights quite yet. Hang on. <laughs> not ready. <laughs> I'm coming there later. I'm still talking about levels of judgment. Natural judgment, and then we've got... Uh, God's gracious judgment. Now, there's another type of judgment, which I would highlight, which is his silent judgment. Silent judgment is when God says nothing. This is sometimes when he's the most angry. He won't say anything. 
You know, God was really angry with Eli and his sons, 1 Samuel 3.1, because they were abusing their authority. And it tells us that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Now, I'm just telling you, you can go to certain church circles today, and the word of the Lord is rare because people have itching ears, and they no longer want to hear truth. And so what you'll get is feel-good messages where nobody ever tells you that one day you're going to have to give an account for the life that you live. That's all Paul is doing to Felix here. So we've got one final level I want to highlight, which would be his retributive judgment or his wrath. And man, I'm telling you, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 14 that the full strength of God's wrath is going to be poured out one day. It's almost like coming various levels to it. And at some point in the future, I believe in the tribulation period, his wrath is going to be coming poured out upon the planet. In fact, three times in the book of Revelation, it says that men would not repent. It's like their hearts were hard. We've got like a gospel-hardened culture in some ways today where people's heart is so hard that they won't hear truth no matter what. And that's a scary place to be because you can, you can see on the horizon there is a storm coming, a flood of God's wrath. Now, I'm one who believes in the rapture of the church that it takes place before the tribulation. I, I base it in Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. In my opinion, the context says that when we're not appointed to wrath, it's specifically speaking about the end times and the wrath of God. And, and that 1 Timothy 1.10 is such an, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 1.10 is such an interesting verse for me as it relates to that. I'm just telling you that, that wrath is coming. <clears throat> now, the word here says the judgment to come. He said righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. That's talking about you and me appearing before God to give an account for what we've done. Romans 14 and verse 10, it's called the Bema judgment. It's a judgment for believers. And if you appear at that seat, it means that Christ is going to deal with you, give you rewards for the things that you've done. There's a judgment for non-believers called the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20 and verse 11. And that is a judgment you don't want to be found at. Because in that judgment, Scripture says people will be thrown into a lake of fire. Now, I have had people walk out on sermons because I said that hell appears to be an eternal state from what Jesus said in Matthew 25 and verse 46. It's like people can't handle it. And in today's world, we want to make things so palatable. We want people to feel comfortable. But that is not what Paul did when he preached to Felix. Here's Felix, the governor. This man could set him free, and he's warning him about the truth. He's saying, Felix, man, listen, if you want to escape judgment, you got to live righteously with self-control. Man, Paul, Paul had made him afraid. Man, let me tell you something. The gospel is a warning. It is a warning. I'm telling you, there's danger coming. There's a flood on the horizon. That's what Noah had. It says that he was divinely warned of things not yet seen, and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And that's what churches are. That's what, that's what salvation is. It's an ark for people to get saved and escape wrath that is to come. Now we can kill the lights, because this is where I get to talk about my last week camping. How many, I mean, I had a couple people up there with me camping, and uh, we love to go to Woodbine. Ever been to Woodbine? It's like a little slice of heaven. Nice, easy campground. You're out in the woods. Everything's great. And um, now we did have some, you know, advisories that told us don't go camping. 
Seanette and my wife, in particular, <laughs> were up there. I don't know if I'd go. They got flood warnings, but we're from Montana, so we thought, we ain't going to listen. <laughs> we got up there, and the water was flowing pretty strong. And, you know, it looked like, you know, things looked pretty intense, but, you know, hey, we're, having, we're on vacation. I, man, I, I felt really a strong impression to start a fire, which you, is crazy to do in a rainstorm. I mean, it was raining, raining, raining. But I hung a tarp up, I put a fire up, and probably about 7 o'clock at night, I'd been out there at that fire for about an hour, kids running around, and the, the camp host drove by. And she said, you're the only people here at the campground who uh, are outside, and I'm, I can't get a hold of people knocking on doors. She said, you have kids, and this place is, I think, could flood, and I think it would be wise for you to go. So, you know, we looked at the situation. She told us about a culvert in the back, and that culvert was just at the brim. And when we got there, you could just start seeing, you know, water pool over. She said, hey, I, I think this is going to go under. I think the bowl at the front of the campground is going to go over with water. They say it's going to rain all night, and they say this could get way, way worse. They may have to evacuate you out of here. You may have to go. And, and I thank God for, I was with, with Pastor David, and when he and I looked at it, man, he was pretty resolute. We got kids, we need to go. And that kind of led to a mad scramble because uh, we started noticing that in the 45 minutes it took for us to load everything up, that the water went from just being right an inch over the culvert in, into being like, you know, like six or eight inches deep. We started seeing, you know, camp tables getting underwater. And so we were telling the people we were with, man, we were <laughs> telling Paul and Tony, like, hey, we got to go, man. And it, it was something else just to see everyone scramble to get out of there. And I'm sure glad we did. I'm sure you caught the news of what happened up there. They had to evacuate 68 campers out of the campground. The, flo the road at Nye got washed out. And I was kind of bitter about leaving. Like I was like, man, I'd like to be camping. I, I guess I kind of felt like Lot's wife looking back. <laughs> I'm telling you, though, I listened to the warning. We listened to the warning. And, God, and I'm, there's, I'm, this is a warning message. This is what Paul is doing. He's preaching the gospel to Felix. It is a warning. One day, you are going to have to give an account for the life that you lived. Think about your life. Have you lived it righteously? I mean, righteousness, that is, that is, it's so big in the eyes of God. Righteous living. And we are in the same last days the Bible likens to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Think about that. I mean, you're just seeing it all before you. And in that time, Noah and Lot were spared because they lived righteously. There's something about righteous living and righteousness in the sight of God that is so powerful with him. And I want to urge you, man, if your conscience is convicting you at all about a way that you've lived, you want to make sure that through his grace and with the power of, of righteousness, you, you can let go of some hindrances and sins that have held you back. Or I think about self-control. I know people who have cast off restraint in certain areas. They have no longer have a conscience about it. And if you live long enough without self-control, I'm telling you, things can overtake you in life where you'll have a consequence for the things that you've done. And it's, and it's just the simple law of sowing and reaping at work. And it comes from a lack of self-control because you couldn't restrain yourself. And, and I don't know what area that, maybe it's with food, maybe it's with drinking, it could be with things you're watching. And, and self-control is so vital for you to endure in the moment we're living in. Or judgment, man. There is a there's a heaven to gain. There is a hell to lose. 
You know what's the most interesting thing? This has been one of the things I have been recently affected by. You got people who sit in churches and they'll amen and they'll nod, but they're not saved. I've seen it more and more. You got people who might show up and there's no fruit. And the truth is if you pressed them, they wouldn't even really know what it means. And, and their heart isn't right with God. I have had men tell me that they don't believe in God, but they'll come to church for things. And they can hear messages, but that doesn't mean that they're saved. They, they, like, they don't have any relationship with him, not put their faith in him. And this morning, I just want to urge you, man, there is a flood coming. If I could get every head bowed, every eye closed, it's just fresh in me. It's real to me. I've, I've walked it. I've seen it. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I just want to pray over everybody in here. And if you need to get right with the Lord, I mean, probably all of you sat in church services before, but I just want to pray that. I want you to pray with me. Say, Father, come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. I want to live righteously before you. I want to put my faith in you. I want to know you. I want to be delivered. Lord, I pray over people who, you know, maybe they're wrestling with God. Maybe, maybe they're right with you, Lord. But I pray that they would walk in righteousness, self-control, and be aware of judgment to come. We want to, we want to be with you in heaven. We want to know you. And I thank you for the words of Scripture that have stood the test of time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'd love to talk to you. If you, if, if you need to get right, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to have you come talk with me, grow in the things of God. It's an important hour, man. It's an important time. You know, um, one of the most impacting things that we can do to get people in the right direction is to get them when they're young. You know what I'm talking about? Get them when they're killed. So that's why we got Vacation Bible School going on. I, I think Vacation Bible School is the first one we've ever done. It's going to be great. Speaking of that, do I... <laughs> Are we there yet? Moses, is that you, Moses? Yeah, it's me. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good, man. What in the world are you doing here? Well, I'm just here with my sidekick, Joshua. And uh, I was invited a couple weeks ago to uh, speak at your VBS, Camp Connect. Well, hey, that, that is great. But we yeah, so it's like the kids uh, ages four through the fifth grade. Uh, it's going to start at 6.30 every Wednesday night for the next four Wednesday nights. And um, we're going to have crafts. We're going to have games. We're going to have music. We're going to have, uh, what else did I forget? Snacks? Did I say snacks? We're going to have food. And uh, it's, it's going to be a great time. And it's going to be followed up by a, a message by yours truly. Man, Paul, that is great. But why the beard? Paul. No, Paul's a few years <laughs> down the road. Who was that you were asking about? Moses. Why oh, you got Moses. that beard on, Moses? Why the beard? Well, you know, I only had three weeks to grow it, but uh, <laughs> I thought it made me look wiser, a little more educated, you know, regal. More like ridiculous. <laughs> well, no one asked you, Josh. So um, why don't you go along and water the camel? I got to water him again? I just watered him eight days ago. We drank gallons. <laughs> just remember... The next four Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. So I'm looking forward to that, man. If you haven't signed your kids up for that, we'd love to have them out. We're going to go four Wednesday nights in a row because that's what the volunteer base would allow for. And we're going to have a great time with that. So invite somebody. If they, if they, My neighbors are coming out, man. we got people that we want to get involved. Would you stand up with us this morning? I, I think there's really something. Uh, my kids are fired up about VBS. And the place to get people is when they're young, right?
Amen. Hey, we're glad that you came out to church this morning. I want you to know we value you. We love you. bless you. And if you need prayer for anything, we are here for you. These altars are open. Um, I thank God for a church that prays, and I thank God for a church that's willing to hear the truth. Because it, it is, the hour is late and the time is real, man. So we love you. If you want prayer, we're here for you. And if you want to volunteer to help, uh, you know, help us with some cleanup uh, in the next couple weeks in the area, I'd love to have your help with that too. So love you. God bless you. If you want prayer, we're here for you. Amen.